and they get to proclaim the message. Joey did an unbelievable job of talking about how Jesus is the only one that can unlock the, the keys to our, to our sin and set us free. And so I thought, you know, Joe and I wrote these messages together, and I have found in my years of dealing with teens and dealing with adults and young adults is that I, I think that people can understand that Jesus sets them free. The thing that I find that people have a hard time doing, though, is forgiving themselves and really living in the freedom that Jesus has for them. So that's what I want to talk to you about. So we're going to pray, we're going to ask God's blessing, and then we're going to get into it. So let's pray. God, I have, uh, I've prepared some words to speak to my friends, but words mean nothing. Only what you empower these words to do mean everything. And so, I just, God, I just pray for your spirit. I pray that I would speak clearly, be focused, and God, that you would do the things that only you can do, that you would penetrate hearts, and you would change people's lives. I pray this all in your precious name, amen. So, I want to start off by telling a story, because most of you know that's what I like to do. I'm a storyteller. So, my, my wife, uh, about a month ago, had to make the amazing pilgrimage or the voyage of going to Walmart on a Saturday. And no one really likes to do that. That's like something you avoid, like going to the dentist and getting a root canal. Like no one really, really wants to go to Walmart on a Saturday. What happened was is I was pretty sick and I was just unable uh, to answer the bell. So she had to go and do it. And so she was recruiting some of our children to go. She went to the oldest son, Caden, and said, Caden, would you like to go to Walmart? And he was not interested one bit, like, no, I will not do that. So she went to our middle child, Cohen, and said, Cohen, would you be willing to go? And Cohen was foolish enough to say yes. And so the two of them went to Walmart. But before they went to Walmart, my wife's great. She's always like, hey, what are some things that you guys would love to eat? What are some snacks or some food that you would like? And Cohen and I usually pick, we pick junk food, we pick chips, we pick, you know, pop, popsicles, things like that. And my son, Caden, made a very unique request. And go ahead and bring that up. He picked, go ahead, hit my next slide, Jay. This is me filling time now. He picked, I'll just tell you what he picked. Giant Eagle original mild salsa. Now there is just this problem. Like, my kid picks salsa. Well, there's some things you need to know about my son. That this, this will help you understand it. Is that my son has food allergies. So he has a dairy and soy allergy. So what happens is, is that he cannot eat some, some of the normal junk food that we eat. So he wants salsa. And so my wife said, well, Caden, here's the deal. I'm going to Walmart if I have time. I will then go to Giant Eagle if I don't have time. I, I cannot get the salsa. And he says, okay. So my wife is gone for like two hours. And like I said, I, so it's me, the baby, and Caden are at home. And I do what any father normally does whenever it's just me and the kids on a Saturday. I just let them play video games for two hours. There, the secret's out. All right, like that's what, that's what guys do. I'm sorry. That's what we do. So he, he's playing video games. And then his mother comes back in the door. I'm like, okay, you got to help your mom pull, bring in all the groceries. And Cohen and Caden and Kylie, and we're, we're kind of putting the groceries away. We're putting the cold stuff away first and putting the cereals away. We put everything away. 
Well, unbeknownst to me, Caden is just scouring for this salsa. He's just like a Hawkeye and stuff like that. And, and, and he can't find it. He's looking and looking and looking. And he can't find it because mom didn't stop and get it. So we put everything away. And we go back into the living room. We're watching TV. And, and Caden's nowhere to be found. I'm like, Caden, where, where are you? Caden, where are you? And Caden is sitting under, underneath the dining room table, which he's never done before in his life. I'm like, so I go out. I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm like, buddy, what are you, come on, come on. In. And, and I can see in the, the expression on his face. I, I can see that he's upset. I'm like, buddy, come on, let, let's go. Let's, let, come on, let's come sit down. He comes and he sits down. And I know he's upset. And I look at him like, buddy, just tell me. We've talked about this how many times. Just tell me the truth. What's upsetting you? He's sitting there and he's thinking about it. And he looks over at his mother. And he goes over and he gives his mom the biggest hug. Just gives all. He goes, I just missed mommy so much while she was away. And you as mothers are going, I wish I had a child like Caden. But my, you know, my father instinct kicks in and goes, I look at him and go, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And his eyes get like this big because he knows I just caught him red-handed. I said, you're just mad over the salsa, aren't you? And the lip starts to quiver, you know. <laughs> like, he's like, yes, I wanted the salsa. And I said, buddy, you can't get up this upset about salsa. I said, listen, I understand you're disappointed. But the thing that disappoints me the most is that you lied and deceived your mother and you wouldn't tell me the truth. His eyes got even bigger. And the tears started, I lied to you, I deceived you. And he turns and he sprints all the way back the hall into his bedroom, goes into his closet and just sits in there and shuts the door in the dark <laughs> for 20 to 25 minutes. And you think you have a strong-willed child. So there he is. He's, he's just rotten and in here. And so my wife's like, do you want me to go talk? I was like, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. And so I wait like 20, 25 minutes. It just takes that long. And I go, I know, it's crazy. So I go back, and there he is just sitting in there. And I, and I open the door, and I go, you all right? And, and this is as honest, as genuine as, as he can be. He, he's literally sitting in there. And this is what he says. He's like, Dad, I'm just so disappointed with myself. I'm so mad that I got so upset over something so silly as salsa. And then I deceived you. I lied to you. I'm so frustrated with myself. And I'm like, it's all right. Listen, your mother and I forgive you. We love you. We care about you. It's all right. It's just, just come on. Let, let's come out. Let, let's talk about this. And literally, he's sitting there, and he looks me right in the eye. And he goes, I just can't forgive myself. And I tell you that story because I think that's how a lot of us feel. When we mess up before our, our, our Heavenly Father. Because the goal is what? To be perfect as I am perfect. Like, that's what all of us are truly pursuing God. I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. I want to just do what God wants. But perfection just isn't always reality. And sin is the reality. So how do we get out of this prison cell? And how do we forgive ourselves? That's really the question. That we're going to answer today. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
verse 13 is where we're going to be. But before we get there, I have to give you a quick recap, kind of like when you're watching Netflix, your favorite drama, maybe it's 24 or Vikings, how they show you like what had happened in the previous episodes. That's what I'm going to have to give you a quick five-minute recap so we can really, really explore what God has for us today. And we're going to pick up, and I'm going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And this is actually the key verse. We're going to come back to this verse. I want you to be in chapter 12, verse 13. I'm going to give you the quick recap. And here we go. In springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And Pastor Bob talked about this, and this is the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you recall, he had that big stop sign that he was, you know, they were talking about when you're making mistakes. Stop, you got to think. And so that's where we're going to recap this story real quick. So David is, you know, all by himself. Always, always, you know, and that's what he normally would do is go out and fight with the armies and fight with the soldier. He was this warrior king, but instead, for unbeknown reasons, he stays at home in the palace. It's warm, obviously, they live in the Middle East. So one palace night, you know, on one night he gets on top of his palace and he's looking down over his whole palace and looking down and checking things out. And he sees this woman bathing. And men tend to look at naked women. That's just how it works. And so he's looking at her. And what happens is, is then he starts to act and think about this. And he starts to lust for this woman and decides that he would like to, to meet her. And so he calls for her. What's her name? Her name is Bathsheba. She comes up. You know, one thing leads to another. And they end up, you know, having sex and becoming intimate together. And then David sends her home. They have an affair. Sometime later, you know, David finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant. And David's like, oh, no, what do I do? Like, I've committed this, this sin. You know, I shouldn't have had sex with her to begin with. And now the punishment for both of them would have been death. So he's like, how can I get away with this? And now she's pregnant. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And he's, he starts running through all these scenarios in his head. Like, really, what, what can I do? What can I do? So he comes up with this great idea. He's like, I have to find out who her husband is. And her husband is Uriah, the Hittite. So David sends word to Uriah, the Hittite, who's actually out fighting for David in his war. In, in his war. And he says, Uriah, I need you to just come see me for a little bit. Congratulations, Mr. Todd. You're, you're Uriah today. So up here? You're up here. Oh, Give Todd a big round of applause. He had no idea that he was going to be a part of the sermon. Yes. Don't ever sit in front. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Don't tell them this, but you never sit in the front when the youth pastor is speaking because th this is what happens. So, so <laughs> David calls Uriah in from the battle. And he's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Everything going well? Job treating you all right? We're just, we're kind of doing this soldier, you know, survey, just making sure everything's, how's the food? Everything going well? You couldn't be happier, right? I don't trust this guy. I don't know why not. And so what happens is, you know, he's like, hey, listen, I, I know you've been working really hard. Things have been going. I would love for you to just go home, spend some quality time with the wife, if you know what I'm saying, you know, and then, you know, you can go back out in the battle. Thanks. No problem. But Uriah, you know, after that, he, David sends him home that night. But Uriah does not go and have sex with his wife. No, he sleeps outside the gates. And I call him in the next day, and I'm like, hey, how'd it go last night? Everything good, buddy? Everything's going well? And Uriah says, 
King Dave, I, I could never do that. I mean, I mean think about it. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant is not in the temple. My, my, my fellow brothers and soldiers in arms, they're sleeping in tents. How could I go be romantic with my wife under these circumstances? I, I just couldn't do it. Uriah shows outstanding character, and Dave's like, oh, no. What am I going to do now? Because now he won't have sex with his wife, and he's frustrated. So he does what any man would do. Not any man, but a lot of people do. Is he starts giving him what? Alcohol. And they start drinking. Go ahead, man. <laughs> it's not laced with anything. My wife's not here. <laughs> they start drinking. Swapping manly stories. I mean, war stories, I'm sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? He has them pretty loaded up. About midnight, he kicks him out. All right, buddy, go ahead and go home. He hopes he'll go have, you know, intimacy with his wife. What happens? He goes right outside the palace gate again and just falls asleep. And Dave's like, why won't you just do what I want you to do? He's frustrated. He's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? Calls Uriah the third day, brings him in. Come on, buddy. Listen, I'm going to send you back into the battle, Okay. What I want you to do, though, is make sure, you know, you fight hard, things go well. If Joab's having any problems, you let me know. You can go sit down. Give Todd a big round of applause. You might want to take that off you. There's some mean people in this congregation that might do something about that. What's he do? He says, listen, to me. he sends him with a note. Back out to battle that says this in verse 15. He says, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. David sends him to his own death. He essentially murders him. And that's exactly what happens the next battle when they go out and fight Rabbah. They're fighting and, and you know, Uriah's in the front. They call for the retreat and he can't retreat and he's murdered. And he dies. David then does something to cover up his sin. Skip down to verse 27. After a time of mourning, after Uriah had died, David had her brought, Bathsheba brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So David has a sin. Essentially, the sin has been looked over. He's covered all his past, and he got away with it. But then there's this key part of this verse. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. God saw what he'd done. Chapter 12 opens like this. The Lord sent Nathan, who's the great prophet at that time. He sends Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other one poor. And so there's this rich man who has all these sheep and all these cattle and all this great stuff. And just an overabundance of things. And there was this poor man over here. All he had was one little ooh lamb, which is a little female lamb. And he loved the little ooh lamb and female lamb. He used to hold it and feed it from its table. He treated it like it was part of his family. And he loved it. Well, a traveler showed up, and Jews are known for their hospitality. That Often what happens when travelers would show up at your door, what you would do is you would give up your own bed. You would sacrifice the best lamb, the best cattle, whatever you had. And you'd hold a feast for these people. So this traveler shows up at the rich man's house. But instead of the rich man taking one of his many sheep or many cattle, he went down to the poor man's house, and he grabbed that little ooh lamb off of him, slaughtered him, and killed him for the traveler. When David hears about this, 
he responds this way in verse 5. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David's like, who would do this? Verse 7, then Nathan the prophet says to David, you were the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel. David thought he got away with it, but God wasn't going to let him get away with it. So then Nathan starts to tell him, hey, look, there's going to be some consequences for your sins. What's going to happen is is there's going to be an adversary that rises up against you. He's going to challenge your throne. And what you did in secret, your affair, your little affair in secret, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to do it in broad daylight. This is going to be his son Absalom who's going to rise up against him and try to take his throne and have sex with some of his wives out in the open for everyone to see. Be a despicable thing. Now we're in verse 13, and this is where you should be. Then David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the amazing thing about David. He accepts full responsibility, and that's the first part of forgiveness, is you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And that's what Joe talked about last week, is that, listen, Jesus, you know, opens the door. You have to accept full responsibility for your sin. David would say this in his psalm, Psalm 51. This is right after this happens. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, Lord. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And he accepts it. He says, listen, I'm sorry, Lord. You are completely correct. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. And that's the amazing thing about God. He will always, always, always take away your sin no matter what you've done. You are not going to die. Because of doing this, while doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. Can you imagine as a parent a worse possible scenario? Your son or daughter will pay the consequences for your sins. And that consequence will be death. I can't imagine a worse consequence. And if that was me, I would have put myself back into a prison cell, and I would have had a conversation like this. I would have been like, that was the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life. Why would you ever have had sex with that woman? You knew it was wrong. And then you killed her husband? Like, what were you thinking? That was so dumb. You knew that wasn't what God wanted. Why, why would you do that? And I'm willing to bet some of you have had that conversation with God. Some of you are having that conversation with God right now. Some of you are stuck in that prison cell and you're saying, why did I do that thing that was so dumb? Oh, why, why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Just keep your mouth shut. Like, why did I do that? And some of you feel like you're stuck in a prison cell right now because of the consequences for what you've done and you're beating yourself up. Verse 15. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child Uriah's wife. Here's the amazing thing in the Bible. It doesn't even call it Bathsheba. It says, you know, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. And David spends literally days just on the ground. God, please have mercy on my child. Please, please forgive me. It was my fault. Just like any of us, we God, please, 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 God, it's my fault. Please forgive me. It's, 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 don't let this child die for my sin. He's pleading. He's begging. 
begging God, please don't, don't take my son. Please don't do it. The elders of the household stood beside him to get him up. And they'd say, come on, Dave, you got to get up. And David wouldn't do it. To get him up from the ground, he refused. And he would not eat any. He wouldn't even eat. He's so distraught about what has happened. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do, do something desperate. And his attendants are just convinced that David has put himself in such a prison that we can't even tell him because who knows, he's become irrational. What's going to happen to him? Verse 19, David noticed his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put lotions on, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and his request, they served him food, and he ate. What? Is that right? The, the, the Bible melts away. He got up from the ground, he washed and put his lotion on, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped? Let me ask you this. Most, a lot of you are parents or grandparents. Have you ever, you know, you had the kid, you have a kid, and they face the consequences for their actions? Maybe you spanked them, maybe you gave them a timeout, and they came out and they're like, thank you so much for doing that to me. I really deserved it. I know you're trying to build character into me. That's what he does. He's like, God, thank you so much. I just want to worship you. And I, I understand that I, I've made some poor choices and for the consequences. Because most of us are like my child. What? We go and hide because we don't, we don't want to face the consequences. And we're hiding from God. And the difference between, honestly, me, my child, and a lot of us, David ran to God. He ran right to God and said, listen, I'm going to worship you no matter what. I'm going to eat. eat. I'm, <laughs> listen, God, I, I know that I, was, I made these poor choices. I want to thank you for them. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. And now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. This is what he's saying. Why aren't you putting yourself in that prison? Why, why, why aren't you doing this? That, this makes no sense to me. God. Like, Dave, you're all upset. He dies, and then you go back to normal life. This makes no sense. 22 and 23 are the key. He answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him. He will not return to me. Let me give you the Keith Kozik paraphrase version of what Dave just said here. I'm moving forward with my life. I'm moving forward. Yes, I made some poor choices. But I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up. Because that's not what God wants. Because why? Because David understands God's grace. And, what, and me, you know, beating the tar out of myself and telling myself how stupid I am, like, what, what does that really do? i got to move forward with my life. That's what I have to do. Again, many of you are parents, so you understand this. When you punish your child, do you want them to really just sit in prison the rest of their lives and be like, oh, that's terrible, and you want to slam the door and be like, yeah, stay in there forever. 
Maybe sometimes. But most of the time, what? We want them to learn from our mistakes. And you're like, let's go. Let's move forward with our lives. Just like I did with Caden. Because most of the time we're saying, listen, it's just salsa. <laughs> let's, let's move forward with our lives. I forgive you. You made a mistake. Learn from your mistake and move forward. Because that's what Jesus did. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt, not just for what? All our sins prior to conversion or prior to whatever. He paid the debt for all of our sins. Why? So you could move forward. Because this is the key thing. The Father wants you to experience freedom. The Father doesn't want you to be a slave. We're not slaves. You are slaves to sin, but no more. Because the power of the cross and what Jesus has done, he has set you free from slavery to sin. I want to tell you this story, and I think it will help you understand that. I want you to think of a time where you were the most in debt in your life. It may be right now. Maybe you were like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in debt. Maybe you're a million dollars in debt. Maybe you're 150. Maybe you took Dave Ramsey's class and you paid it all off. Pretend that you're really, really in debt. And you think, oh, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to pay this off. And then someone who loves you, cares a lot about you, is willing to come up to you and say, listen, I want to pay all that debt off. I know that you've made some good decisions, you've made some bad decisions, but I want to come and I want to pay all that debt off. I want to, I want to take it from you. Most of us, the first thing we do is get up and hug the person and be like, thank you so much. The second thing you'd be thinking is, I knew I should have got leather in that car. You know, that was, I always wanted that. And I didn't, I withheld it, and I, I could have went for it. So the person pays off the debt. Let me ask you this question. When the first of the month came around and you paid in the bills, how many of you would be like, you know what, out of obligation, I ought to pay for the mortgage. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay the mortgage today. How many of you would say, listen, you know what, I really miss sending that $450 to Kelly Chevrolet, so you know what, I'm, I'm going to send them that check too. You know what, Bernie Sanders did not pay off my student loans, so I am going to say I'm going to pay for my, my, my student loans as well. I'm, I'm paying all this stuff off. And then the person found out that paid off all your debt that you're paying all your loans. They, they come and have a conversation. Hey, I paid these off so you would live in freedom and have the opportunity to live a fuller life. And you know what you're doing? You're putting yourself right back in that debt. But you'd be like, yeah, but I just think it'd be more noble for me to pay that off. I feel like I, I owe it to these banks and to these mortgage companies. And the person who paid it off would be like, no, that's the, the, I paid it off for you. Because why? Because I love you. Why? Because I want you to be free. And most of you are smart enough to understand that's exactly what we do with God. He paid the debt so that we could be free, not be slaves anymore. But when we don't forgive ourselves, we're saying, listen, I know you did all this. I know you paid the debt, but I just feel like I, gotta, I should pay the mortgage. And he's sitting there going, what are you doing? Let's go. Let's move forward. No, I, I want you to move forward with your life. And you were sitting there going, I got to pay the mortgage. I did that. I paid for all your sins. Past and future. 
Don't put yourself in that prison cell. Let's move forward. And that's what a lot of us do. We feel like, I'm not worthy of that. And Jesus says, you weren't worthy of it the first time I paid it. I've paid it over and over again. I love you. I want you to live free. The Father always wants you to live free. And you're the one putting yourself in this prison. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, 12 and 14. You don't have to turn there. Just turn, tilt your head up. He says, I press on or I move forward, as David, as I said, to take hold of which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do, consider, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. Notice, now, I just don't forget what's behind me. I strain, I focus, I'm going for what's in front of me. I'm not worried about what's behind me. I press on or I move forward towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. It's your lucky day. You get two illustrations from the youth pastor. Just, just a rearview mirror. I don't want to blind anyone, so that's why I'm going to try to keep it high. I remember when I was 16 years old, the first time I went onto a six-lane highway, my dad and I are driving. We're in a, a, like a 95 golden Chevy full-size van. It's not even a minivan. I'm in this thing, and I'm, we're driving. On, we're merging on, and it's huge, and, I'm, and I merge on. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And there's just, there's cars everywhere. You know, it's huge. And I merge on and I'm going like 50 miles per hour. And I'm white knuckling. And I'm looking at my side mirror and cars are just going like 70. Look in this mirror. And then I just start looking in the rearview mirror like, oh, I'm going to die. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm just looking in this rearview And my dad's over here going, hit the gas. Hit the gas. And I'm just like, my brain is like turning to mush, and I'm just looking in this rearview mirror. He's like, quit looking in the rearview mirror and hit the gas. And I'm just like, my world is spinning. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I have this moment of like clairvoyance where like sanity returned to me. He's like, hit the gas. I'm like, all right. And I hit the gas. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. I stopped doing it. He's like, listen, you keep looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to miss right in, what's right in front of you, and then you're really going to get in an accident. You've got to move forward. Get the gas. Don't worry about what's behind. Move. Go, go, go. You know what happened when I did those things? You know what I experienced? I could drive on a six-lane highway. <laughs> Made it a lot easier. But when I was white-knuckling, Living and looking in my living in, in the back, looking in the rearview mirror the whole time, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm not looking what's in front of me. I was a horrible driver. And some of you, honestly, you're not forgiving yourself, you're not moving on. You've put the car in park and you're just standing there looking in the rearview mirror the whole time. And the father's saying, Look, I, I paid the debt for your freedom. Put it, put it in drive and let's go. Let's move forward. I didn't die for you to live in the past. I bought your future. I bought your freedom. Let's wrap this up. I got one more point. Because remember, I said 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 was the key. Go ahead, bring that up. 
It says, in springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's how the story started. Because David was by himself, he puts himself in trouble. But notice, this is sometime later, maybe a year, I mean, at least, you know, maybe two years later. Verse 27. Then Joab sent messengers to David saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and it will be named after me. And he says, Dave, let's go. Let's go. It's time to fight. We got to go back out. And David goes back to doing what he should have done in the first place, which was what? Being the warrior king. Verse 29, so David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah. He attacked it and captured it. He took the crown from the king's head and placed it on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold and it was set in precious stones. David took a great, great quantity of plunder from the city and brought it out to the people where they were, they were there, consigning them to labor and saws and iron picks and axes, and he made them work at brick making. David did this to all the Amorites in the towns. Then he and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. You know what David did to move forward? He went back to being the warrior king he should have been in the first place. And because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, that's what got him in the mess. He moved forward out of the prison cell, embraced his freedom, and went back to being the man of God he should have been. And that's my challenge for all of you here. Go back. Do what you know you should be doing. If you're living in that prison cell, you hit the gas, move on, move for your freedom, and go be the man or woman of God that you know that you should be. You're not defined by your past. You're not held down by it. God has bought your past. And he wants freedom for your future. Keep going. Go back and be the son that you know that you should be. Be the daughter. Be the employee. Whatever it is, move forward. And don't let your past define you. We're going to do an old-fashioned, you know, when I let you go. So go ahead and stand. I want everyone to stand. I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way, if you're able to stand. I want you to leave here with the freedom that God has purchased. Don't let your past define you. And don't keep putting yourself in that prison cell because it's not what God wants. No. He wants you to go out and live as godly men and women to other people and say, look at that freedom. I, I want what they have. And when the enemy starts throwing it up in your face and trying to put you in that prison cell, just say, no, that's not true. God has always, always forgiven me from whatever I've done. And most importantly, I want you to go be who God wants you to be. And go do the things that you know that God wants you to do. And as you're standing, if that's you today, all I want you to do is raise your hands. as a symbol to say, God, don't, be, don't worry about what everybody else says. You're just raising your hands as a sign of freedom to say, God, I want whatever you want. And don't worry, this is between you and God. 
So go ahead and do that, and I'm going to give the benediction. I'm going to say, God, these people who are raising their hands, they want the freedom that only you can give. They don't want their past to define you anymore. They want the Holy Spirit to guide them. No longer will things be thrown in their face. They're walking out of face. They will be walking out of the prison cell and accept exactly what you have for them, which is a life freedom and a life of blessing and a life of hope. Be with them. Help us to have a great day and bring us back to learn more about you next week. And we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Love you guys. Go in peace, okay?